Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. 
For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, their sin is very grave, I will go down there, see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, and Abraham will still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep the righteous away with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteousness within the city. Will you sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty who are righteous? Far be it for you to do such things, to put the righteous to death with the wicked. So the righteous fair has the, so, uh, and that the righteous fair as the wicked. Far be it that from you shall not the judge of all of earth do what is just. And the Lord said, If I find Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. We're going to skip down because this goes from Abraham going to God and saying, What about forty? And God saying, Surely I will not do it. What about thirty? Surely I will not do it. What about twenty? Surely I will not do it. And Abraham works God all the way down to ten people. And he says, Surely if I find ten righteous, I will not do it. Behold, I have undertaken to speak with the Lord, says Abraham. Suppose twenty are found, he answered, for the sake of twenty I will not destroy it. He said, for the sake of ten I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way, and he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Genesis 19, 23-29, briefly. The sun had risen on the earth, and Lot, and Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up and like smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of his midst and overthrew when he overthrew the city, overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. That's Lot. We're gonna go through it. Ready? Fantastic. Let's pray and we're gonna see what the Lord will do. Father, I just thank you so much this morning. I thank you that you are in this room, God. I thank you today, Lord. That so many of our brothers and sisters today, God, we have chosen the way of Mary. That, God, we have chosen, we have chosen the good portion to be found in your house today, God, and it will not be taken from us. Lord, I'm so grateful for your word that makes a promise to your people that you are the covenant God, that you say you will do this and you fulfill your promise to your people. So, God, I thank you for the good portion today. I thank you that it will not be taken from us. I thank you that we get to sit at the mighty feet of Jesus. Jesus, God, and we get to listen, hear your heart, see what's on your mind, be impressed and changed upon by what you want to do in the room. So, Father, come. Move like a mighty wind. Holy Spirit, we just yield to you. Come. Have your way. Shape us. Shake us. Break us. Change us. Mold us. Burn us. Build us. Reconfigure us back into your image and likeness, God. We love you and we have given our lives. We have given our lives to be found in Jesus. So, Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for the gift of this being in the house of God today. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Have your way amongst your saints. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' mighty and undefeated name, faithful church seven. Amen. Come on. A plea of fire. A plea of fire. A plea of fire. Like we talked about last week, we, we're coming into a season right now with church where we finish up the last burning lessons of Jesus, so to speak, in the scriptures. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, where is that burning ground? Not battleground, where's that burning ground that you're looking for us to go and travail in and to go through to thrive in in the summer? Where do you want us to burn, Lord? And he said, Matt, teach my people to pray. And so last week we started this venture together, if you will, to look at what it looks like to not just be a burning bride, but if we're going to be a burning bride, if we're going to be the burning upon the earth, if we're going to be the answer to what Jesus calls for his bride to be a burning one, if we're going to answer that call, then we've got to have fire upon our tongues, fire upon our lips, fire upon our words. Amen. 
And so we have decided that we're going to take this time and we're going to consecrate ourselves. We're going to set ourselves apart for Him. To meet with Him in the most intimate, raw, real, hidden and secret places. That we're not just going to be people who have a public profession of a faith, but we lack a private intimacy with our God. I'm preaching to anybody this morning. You see, friends, right now we live in a time and place where intimacy is on full display, but it is a counterfeit intimacy. Ever since the fall of man, we have been attempting and going to every other, a million other lesser vessels and a million other empty lovers to get back the intimacy that was robbed from us. When we committed sin in the garden at the beginning of time, you see, friends, you and me, we were designed, somebody say designed, we were designed for intimacy with God without shame. We were designed for intimacy with God without shame. And yet, we live in a time and place right now where the world is attempting to fill the void of intimacy with promiscuity. And they're coming up with intimacy with shame. But the church's response into it responds to not them, but it responds to our Father. In this hour, you and I, we are called to also pursue intimacy, but find intimacy with our Father and find it without shame. You see, intimacy without shame is you and I, it is our original intent, it is our birthright. But because of the fall, it still remains our original intent. But now, because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, it is our rebirthright. I appreciate everybody this morning. You see, intimacy, intimacy with God, it has left this giant, massive hole inside the human design where you and I, knowingly or unknowingly, we will spend our lives chasing this intimacy with Him that we have forfeited in the garden, that was robbed from us by the serpent, that has left us hungry and thirsty and dry and unfulfilled. And we are looking for this intimacy that only comes from the Lord, and we find it in empty vessels, and we found it in empty lovers, and we keep trying to fill, we keep trying to fill, we keep trying to fill, and all we come up with is emptiness and shame. But for the son and for the daughter of the Most High God, you and I are promised by the covenant-making and the covenant-keeping God, He will give us intimacy without shame. He will give us intimacy without shame. And so this hour of seeking Him in prayer, this hour of growing as intercessors, this hour of growing as prayer warriors, friends, it's not so much about the outcomes with God, but instead the income with God. Pastor, are you talking about the money right now? No. I'm talking about heavenly currency called intimacy with the Father. It's not about the season. It's about praying big, audacious, bold prayers that God can't ignore because they're so big. His name is on the line and He has to come through. No, 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 friends. It's not about His based outcome. It's about our based income. Our incoming to Him. Our intimacy with Him. Our come away, answering the come away call with Him where you and I are found chasing and pursuing the world can have promiscuity. We desire intimacy. appreciate anybody this morning. And so this is where we are going. This is what is happening. We have decided that we are going to be great intercessors. But great intercessors and great intercessory prayer isn't predicated upon simply a great outcome. It is predicated upon a great income. Because the most, time of, most of the time of your ministry... It doesn't yield fruit in the natural, it yields fruit in the supernatural. It yields fruit in the heavens. It yields fruit when it breaks open on somebody's life and didn't even know you were contending and praying for them. But it's found in that intimate place. You see, right now, there is a reason, friends, hear me today. There is a reason there are few prophets and there is a reason there are many pastors. Because Pastors think that we can pursue the platform and the anointing will follow. That we can study ourselves into the anointing. What we fail to miss, God, help us. What we fail to miss 
is that ministry doesn't beget intimacy. It's intimacy that begets ministry. And it has to be in that order because that's how God designed it. And so we call prophets crazy. And we call pastors right. And we're sitting here going, no, we've got it backwards, friends. You cannot study yourself into the anointing. The anointing comes from the hidden place. The anointing comes from the secret place. The anointing comes from tears that no one's going to see you sow. I appreciate anybody this morning. I am telling you, friends, there is a deep life of hidden intimacy with God that will birth yes, a very public ministry. Yes, it will birth a very powerful ministry. Yes, it will birth something in your life beyond your wildest dreams. I can tell you I'm living it today. But I'm telling you this. 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 Online broadcasts and churches and platforms and lights and microphones and job promotions and all of these things that we seek, that we have to repent for in worship by saying, I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that made it. This doesn't begin an intimacy with Him. In fact, friends, I'm telling you, if we pursue ministry before intimacy, it will corrupt you. It will corrupt you. I appreciate anybody this morning. See, friends, you were designed for intimacy with the Father without shame, and you were designed, hear me today, for dominion over everything beneath God. We discussed it last week. Half the podcast is up. You can go listen to it. Apparently, uh, the devil didn't like too much how we were doing things in church. So everything crashed in service. Praise God and uh, shame the devil. Amen? But you can go look it up or you can just read Genesis 1 and 2 for yourself. But here's the deal. You were made for dominion over everything beneath God. <coughs> You see, it's intimacy that gives way to authority. But we think somehow just getting a title or getting a position or leveling up in a company or leveling up in a group or whatever it is, suddenly we think title. We think titles are a currency in heaven. God does not call me pastor. Never once has he called me pastor. Never will he. God will never call you prophet. God will never call you prophetess. God will never call you great intercessor. God will never call you chief evangelist. God will never call you greatest worship leader of all time. Intimacy has got to be the highest priority. Intimacy has got to be the highest priority because that intimacy, friends, it actually gives way for the authority. And that leads us to this moment in Scripture where we look at one of the greatest intercessors in all of the Bible, where we look at one of the greatest moments of intercession in all of the Bible, where we look at one of the greatest moments of intercession in actual world history. Friends, Sodom and Gomorrah is real. Sodom and Gomorrah happened. And Sodom and Gomorrah actually still exists today. If you were to go to the Red Sea, you would find at the bottom of it is where Sodom and Gomorrah used to be. It's there. You can see it. And... Another way I like to think about it is uh, the Red Sea is also one of the most densest, if not the densest, uh, inward salt lakes in the world. 10% saltier than most other lakes on the earth. And I'm just saying, there was a girl who was told not to you know, look back, and then she turned to a pillar of salt. Quiggity? I think not. That's why it's salty. Anyways. You get it now? Okay. Go turn this off. Moving on. So we see this moment where we have Abraham. Abraham is an absolute legend. He is one of the greatest intercessors that you and I are called to emulate, that we are called to, to look at his life and see what he did both right and wrong. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. There's some wrong that coming up. We'll hit that in a second. But hear me today. Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah is the model for how the church, you and I, are to respond to today's warfare to today's issues, to how modern America is, how the modern West is, you and I are called to respond to this situation in the same way, and in the same manner, and in the same posture that Abraham did. Now we've got to back it up real quick, because what happens here is absolutely insane. What happens here is we come across Abraham and Sarah, and they're talking to Jesus and two angels. We'll pause right there, Pastor Matt. How do you know it's Jesus and two angels? One, Anytime in the Old Testament we see the uh, Lord's angel or angel of the Lord, it's talking about Jesus. 
Also, a whole other reason we know it is that the two angels will depart later in the story to go take care of business. And Lord Jesus says, Abraham says, I'm speaking with the Lord. I'm talking to the Lord. Yes, Lord. Hey, Lord. You're the Lord, 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 Lord. Like we know it's Jesus. Okay, do you understand? Are you picking up what I'm laying down now? He appears all throughout the Old Testament. He did not have to wait until the New Testament to be Jesus. He's always been Jesus. He is the Word of God. Amen? That's who he is. Just recognize that. So all of a sudden, Abraham and Sarah, or Abraham, okay, they used to be called Sarai and Abram. God gave them a new name, new covenant. Father Abraham had many sons. You guys know the deal? That's where we're at. Abraham is going to be prophesied over. He's going to have a son. So what happens in this moment is Sarah. Sarah is in the tent, and the Lord Jesus himself is speaking to Abraham. He says, Abraham, this time next year, your wife Sarah is going to be with child. Your wife Sarah is going to be pregnant. You are going to have a son. You are going to be a mighty man. You are going to have many nations, and every nation is going to be blessed because they are found in you. And what does Sarah do? Sarah, in her tent, behind his back, starts laughing to herself. Not out loud, but, you know, laughing to herself in almost this arrogant, haughty way to think that Lord Jesus himself doesn't know your thoughts, can't read your mind, isn't already inside your head living rent-free, rent pursuing you to the uttermost. You don't think he hears you chuckling, mocking, and knocking him? He certainly does. And friends, pause right there. This is why the Apostle Paul says that you have got to take every single thought captive that raises a haughty, arrogance argument against God and submit it back onto Christ. Because this exact moment, what happens here is Sarah, instead of coming into agreement with what Lord Jesus is saying, Lord Jesus just prophesied, he just interceded, and he just spoke literally destiny into her life, purpose into her life. And what does she do? She laughs at him. What does she do? She mocks him. What does she do? She knocks him. She laughs and she says, ha ha! You mean when I'm old, when my husband is dead, then I'll finally have some pleasure? And God hears that. And what's interesting to me is I think friends more often than not, you and I, we are not found being Abraham in this scenario. We're found being Sarah in this scenario. Friends, more often than not, I feel like you and I, we're found. We come to church. We come to service. We go to a come to table. We go to Sons of Thunder to Bible. We, come, we get together with Christians. And all of a sudden, someone's speaking destiny over our lives, hope over our lives, alcoholism free out of our lives, drug free into our lives. He is speaking these things over us. We're getting all these words. Some of us are getting prayed over. And it's like you're receiving your healing, and a little bit of healing comes, and then you talk yourself out of it. You mock yourself out of it. You knock on him out of it. All of a sudden, you allow this seed of doubt to come forth in your mind instead of taking it captive, subduing it, and handing it over, submitting it to Christ. You find yourself having a greater agreement with your circumstance than you do with your God. See, friends, the reason I think most of us are going to have a hard time with intercession prayer is that most of us, we live as Christians on paper, but we don't live as Christians in prayer. And because we don't live as Christians in prayer, we don't live as Christians with power. I'm preaching anybody this morning. Because most of us are just satisfied living as Christians on paper. We do not live as Christians in prayer because if we were living as Christians in prayer, we would live as Christians with power. I'm preaching anybody this morning. You see, friends, most of us, the reason we have no life of prayer is because like Sarah, we are found often having a greater agreement to our circumstances than we do the Word of God. We are found having a greater agreement with our circumstances than we do with the Word of God. Hear me today. Listen, Sarah didn't doubt God. That's not what she's doubting. She isn't doubting the Word of God. She's not doubting the Word of God. She's knocking Him. She's mocking Him. She's laughing at Him. But it's not because she doubts God. I guarantee Sarah, in her little prayer group chat, take over to prayer group chat, she would be the first one loading up the prayer gun and going, yes, we are sending up Holy Spirit hand grenades to break loose the heavens and we are going to see intercession. You, God told you you are going to get a kid at 70? Let's go. We're praying. We're believing right now. She would be ride or die for somebody else. Much like you and I. 
The reason we have a hard time with intercessory, uh, intercessory prayer, the reason we have a hard time with faith, is because you and I, much like Sarah, are often found having a greater agreement with our circumstances than we do the Word of God. Listen to me. Sarah's issue wasn't with what God was saying. It was the issue that God was saying it to her. He's calling us to get caught up in Him, but we're still, we're still hung up on us. He's saying, come get caught up with me, but I'm still hung up on Matt. He's saying, come get hung up on me, so we get caught up with me, but he's still hung up on Micah. Are you hearing me this morning? God is saying, come get caught up with me, but we can't get past the threshold of doubt because you and I are hung up on ourselves. And this was the same thing with Sarah. Sarah, I wonder today, I wonder if she didn't look first at her body, but she looked at her Christ, what her confession and agreement would have been. I wonder if she didn't look at Abraham and his wrinkles and how old he was, but instead she looked at her Christ. I wonder what her agreement would be. I wonder if she didn't look at all of the things she'd already been through, 70 long years of barrenness. God himself speaks in the middle of the gap of her age and her barrenness and his call to be fruitful and multiply. And he speaks intercession prayer prophecy into the middle of it saying, you will have a child. And she makes a greater agreement with what she's known and lived with longer than the one who is the very life breath of life itself, Jesus. How often is that you and me? How often is that Matt McClure? How often am I attempting to get caught up with God, but I'm too hung up on myself? How often are you trying to get caught up with God, but are too hung up on yourself? You see, friends, we can say as the day is long and as loud as we can, we can say our allegiance belongs to Jesus. But if our agreements belong to our circumstances, are you hearing me this morning? It doesn't matter how loud you say it or how long you say it, how many times you post it, how many scriptures you put up on Facebook. It doesn't matter what you Instagram. It doesn't matter how many conversations you have. It doesn't matter how many coffee dates. If your public allegiance doesn't line up with your private agreements, you will be without authority. I appreciate anybody this morning. Is this cutting in this morning? My prayer was that we would get cut on Independence Day because it's wrecking me. Side of that. She is the one telling her husband, you want to fulfill God's will? Sleep with one of our servants. I'm barren. I'm no good. God got it wrong. Couldn't be me. Never could be me. Won't ever be me. Could it be that you and I are making private agreements with our circumstances, with our sickness, with our shame, with cancer, with disease? We're making secret agreements with death. And it's robbing us of life. I'm appreciating anybody this morning. Do you see where I'm going? Friends, I want to call you to not settle for an Ishmael. I want to call you to wait and receive your Isaac. Don't settle for an Ishmael. Don't, don't have the call of God on your life to receive something, to enter into something, to have that promotion, to go to the next level, to go to the next place, to have that child. Don't, do not take the will of God into your own hands in an attempt to achieve it by your own hands because you have made private agreements with death. Thankfully, our God is a covenant-making God and He redeemed Ishmael and He still was faithful with Isaac. But I wonder what that would have looked like had Sarah just taken the moment and agreed with her God and not with her circumstances. I'm appreciating anybody this morning. And so in that moment, God 
Jesus. He rebuked Sarah, which would absolutely suck. And I hope that's happening to all of us right now. It's happening to me on stage at this very moment. There's things that I've made stupid agreements with that if I could just, if I could just, if I could just, and the Lord's like, dude, I'm going to build a church. Shut up and do what I tell you to do. Yes, Lord. But in this next moment, what we see is this. What we see is the story play out between Abraham and his nephew Lot. You see, Abraham and Lot, their nephew, he's, uh, Abraham's the uncle and Lot's his nephew, and they were co-laboring together in this land. They were, they were cultivating and building a place for the Lord's people to reside. This was what they were called to do in this season. And, and so Lot, he takes the valley region. He goes down to the valley region. He's called to be the intercessor there, to be the one who is going before God, who is tending the land, tending the people, and is literally co-laboring with Abraham and with God in this moment. And what ends up happening is, is we see the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah is... Not unlike Babylon, and it's not unlike Rome that will soon follow. It is not unlike America today, where it is just overrun with sexual immorality, overrun with pride, overrun with arrogance, overrun with murder and death and sin and drugs and all the things that lead you astray to the hell. And what we see here is Jesus comes. In this moment with two angels, because of an outcry of Lot. You see, Lot was tasked with interceding on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. And like we covered last week, intercession is when you stand, you stand between opposing parties. And you pray out the sin, you pray in wrath, judgment, come on somebody, you need some conviction, you need some separation, you need a partition, you need to leave this old life behind, you pray that out, and you pray in God's mercy, God's love, God's grace, God's kindness, God's long-suffering, and you are calling them out of sin in your prayer, and you are calling sin out of them in your prayer, are you picking up what I'm laying down? And so Lot, he is in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's exactly what he's doing. But he is at the point where all he can do is so overrun, it's so wicked, it's so defiled, that he is saying, literally, Lord Jesus, come, bring fire and brimstone down a place. It would be better if you just abolished it all and restarted. And Jesus responds on the backside of this outcry. That sin was very grave in the word of Christ. And I want to tell you this morning. You might think that's harsh. You might think that's grievous. You might think that's dark. Friends, this is where intercession comes into play. Hang with me. Because in this moment, what we see here is absolutely incredible. What we see is the reality, not just a theological concept. Not just a great preaching moment. Not just something great to hurt in church and give you a little pep in your step for a couple of days and then you're right back to sin and, and, and depression. No, no, no. What we see right here at this moment is that you see that God moves at the sound of your voice. God moves at the sound of your voice. A plea of fire is when God moves at the sound of your voice voice. But hear me today. Hear me today. I'm going to point this out and say, hear me today. We do not say to God, jump, and he responds, how high? We do not order him. When I say God moves at the sound of your voice, it's not because you ordered him. It's because you're in the order of him. I'm not preaching anybody this morning. It's not because you ordered him. It's because you're in the order of him. Check it. Hear me today. Next thing we see before Jesus sends the angels and this whole thing happens is Jesus looks at his company and he says, should I, shall I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? And all of a sudden we see this fascinating, powerful absolutely crazy moment where to you you think this is a simple question but but Jesus doesn't Jesus doesn't ask a whole lot of questions Jesus doesn't get a whole lot of opinions Jesus doesn't need a whole lot of opinions amen but what Jesus does in this moment is he asks the angels around him he goes should I should I tell 
Abraham what I'm about to do. After all, I've chosen him. And what this shows us is friendship with God changes everything. It's out of that friendship with God that you come into the order of God. You don't order God, you come into the order of God. It's out of that friendship, friends. Hear me today. A plea of fire is birthed in friendship with God. A plea of fire is birthed in friendship with God. A plea of fire is birthed in friendship with God. Both Lot and Abraham had a friendship with God. And before we go any further, we have got to pause right there because friends today, hear me. We have got to grow up into maturity of friendship with God. You and I, we have got to grow up into friendship in maturity with God. You see, in this moment, we see God literally have to ask around him, should I tell my friend Abraham what I'm about to do? Friends, friendship with God looks like when he starts telling you things, he doesn't have to. When he starts revealing things to you, he doesn't have to. When he starts speaking to you about matters that he has no obligation to speak to you about. When he starts coming to you about somebody else's matters, somebody else's affairs. When he starts telling you someone else's laundry. When he starts reading you somebody else's diary. That's when you know you have entered into friendship with God. I'm appreciating anybody this morning. Man, it is the hope and cry of my heart that here at Takeover Church, we wouldn't just be known for great miracles. We wouldn't just be known for great worship. We wouldn't just be known for mediocre preaching. We wouldn't just be known for all of these things that we are currently known for. I pray that we would be known as a place that our friends would go. Yeah. I appreciate anybody this morning. Yeah. Let's see, man. I think today, God has many sons. I think God has a lot of daughters. But I believe God has very few friends. I believe God has many sons. I think he's got a lot of daughters, but I think he has very few friends. Who are those that God can tell things to that he tells nobody else? Who are those that God can go to, not because he needs you as his therapy, because you are his friend, you are his confidant, you are close to him out of simply desiring to be close to him? What if we were known as a place where it's like, man, every time I go to take over church, it's like they have looked at my laundry, they have read my diary, and they knew exactly what to say. Not even just in the message, not even just in worship, but somebody, a random person who doesn't even work there, comes up to me and just starts prophesying over my situation. I mean, how do they know? Because we're a church filled with people who have been with God. Because we're a church filled with people who have decided we're going to grow up into maturity, beyond sonship and beyond daughtership, and enter into friendship with God. Well, Pastor Matt, friendship with God sounds so elementary. It sounds like children's church friends. If you think friendship with God is JV, you're not even making the team. If you think friendship with God is JV, you're not even making the team. You aren't even fit to be water boy in the kingdom of God. If you think friendship is JV, no, 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 friends, hear me today. Sons want the keys to the car to go joyriding with their friends. Friends find joy in sitting and talking with him. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? I am telling you, strangers can make requests to God. Sons and daughters have access to God. But friends, oh, friends know what is in his heart and what's on his mind. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Friends will know what is in the heart of God. And what is on the mind of God? Do I have anybody in this place that is committed today? We are saying, I want to be a friend of God. In the words of David, who is man that you are mindful of me? That you call me friend? That you hear me when I call out to you? Do I have anybody that wants to be a friend of God? Praise Him now. I want to be a friend of God. I don't simply want to be his son. I don't simply want to be a preacher. I don't simply want to be a pastor. I want to be known as God's friend. Which is how, friends, I know in the day and age we live in right now, this is why I'm calling the church, not just our church, the church in general. Hear me today, bride of Christ. Do not abandon your state because the fight got hard. Don't abandon your state because it went from red to blue. Don't abandon your state because Sodom and Gomorrah is now where you find yourself. If we just often abandon Michigan because it's been depraved, who does God have to visit when he has no friends here? Would God come to Michigan if he doesn't have a friend to visit? Would God come and stay if he doesn't have a friend he can trust? Who is going to be Lot? Who is going to be Abraham? Who is going to be the voice in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord in our state? I appreciate anybody this morning. Yeah. 
I want to be a friend of God. I want to know what's in his heart and what's on his mind. Because friends, I am telling you, I am telling you what. I'm telling you, we will begin to see prayers answered like never before. We will enter into a revival that we've been praying and pleading for. We would see new wine. We would see fresh oil. We would have that old fire that so many were martyred for you and I to possess and be passed down from generation to generation. We would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. If you and I decided today that we are foregoing pipe, that we are forfeiting all notoriety and fame, and we are simply getting back to wanting to be friends with God. I want to be friends with God because when you are friends with God, suddenly you start praying what's in the heart of God and you start praying about what's on the mind of God. What happens when you start praying, you start marrying your prayers with what's already in the heart of God towards what is on the mind of God, towards what God has on His mind. What would happen? What would the nation look like? What would the kings look like? What would Joe Biden tell who's surely a crazy old man? What would happen if the church of God started praying for his health and not against it? What if all of a sudden he became radically saved? What if all of a sudden our nation, we started praying for the House of Representatives and the Senate, and we started praying for Governor Whitmer, we got past our issues with them. We got past the unbiblical, the uncircumcised Philistine nature that they are. We get past all of the death and sin that they are absolutely partaking in and pushing and peddling on people. And we got into the heart of God for them. And we began to get in the gap. You see, intercessors, we live in the gap. We live in the gap. Friends, we get between God's judgment, which is equally as good. We talked about it last week. God's judgment is just as good as God's love. It's called mature Christianity. Let's grow up. We get in between God's judgment. And we get in between God's mercy. And we start pulling on the heartstrings of God of grace of kindness, of long-suffering, and we start pulling it in and closing the gap with grace and kindness and mercy and love, and yes, casting out evil, calling sin, sin, getting all of these things out, but we begin interceding righteousness on their behalf, faithfulness on their behalf, freedom, liberation, and revival on their behalf. What happens if we decided today on Independence Day that we are going to pray into the gap for our country and our nation, our land of which we are called to, not unlike Abraham and Lot. What happens? I can tell you this, it won't happen if you're not a friend of God. Can I ask you today? Honest evaluation. Are you a friend of God? I'm not asking about salvation. I believe you're saved. I'm not asking about your sonship or your daughtership. I believe you're a son. I believe you're a daughter. I'm asking if you're a friend. Could you honestly say, I'm a friend of God? This should shake you. This should, this should challenge you. This should bring a quiver to your prayer. This should bring a reverence to how you step into the house of God, how you step into your secret place, how you open your Bible, how you, how you tread lightly. Not because you're going to upset him, but because you long to behold him, because it's intimate, because it's reverent, because he's called you friend and you don't deserve that. But I'm telling you, today, friends, you and I, we are offered the opportunity to not just live out a plea of fire, but we can foster a plea of fire in our heart where God begins to move at the sound of our voice, not because we've ordered him, but because we are in the order of him, because we are the intimate friends of God. He has so many fans, but very few friends. Where are the friends of God in West Michigan? Can they be found here? Can they be found here? Because I want God to start telling you things and telling me things that he has no obligation to tell us, but it benefits his people and his kingdom in the advance of Christ's commission in the earth. Amen? All of a sudden, you and I, we decide we are not just going to simply live to be fans of God on paper, but we are going to be friends of God in our prayer, intimate, closed-door time with Him. 
And all of a sudden, your prayers, they are seeped with oil. They are lit on fire. They are going out. They are achieving what you have set them out to achieve because you're not praying your own hot words, your own hot take, your own hot tweet, your own hot F FB post. You're not praying according to your will. You have got inside the heart of God and you began to pray what's in his heart towards what is on his mind. This is who our God is. And so what we see next is Lot has this great outcry. And Jesus comes. Jesus comes to have an outcome. He has a pre-decided outcome based upon what he's been told and what he's seeing himself when he gets there. He has a desired outcome. What is it? Complete annihilation and destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Complete annihilation of Sodom and Gomorrah. Absolute destitute. He has his plan. But friends, I'm telling you, friendship with God will always change the outcome of God. You see, we have, friendship with God will always change the outcome of God. You see, friends, we have, we've done such a disservice in the last 50 years of seeker-friendly Christianity. You see, we have pacified babies, and we have led them into adulthood, and we've nursed them on milk from previous generations' revelation, and they have not gotten milk, they've not gotten nutrients, they've not gotten oil for themselves. And suddenly, here we are, we have a bunch of adult baby Christians who sit here and we proclaim the Romans verse, we all love it, our God shall work all things according to His will, according to those who are called according to His purpose, right? We love that verse. God's making all things work together for our good. But we've pacified you with God is going to work all things together for your good. And we have not matured you into a place of realizing, no, you can have an even greater outcome than simply good. You can invite angels. You can invite the Lord. You can pray into the heart of God. And you can have a greater outcome than what is already the set outcome. Not because you've ordered him for more, but because you are in his order, his friendship. I preach to anybody this morning. And how do I know that? How do I know that? Because we live in a time and place right now, friends, where the bride is more committed to being friends of sinners than friends of the Father. We have a bride right now who is more committed to a greater friendship with the world than we are committed to a great friendship, an intimate friendship with the Father. I preach to anybody this morning. I want to reach the world, but not at the expense of my relationship with Him. I want to reach the world, but not at my expense in my relationship with Him. Because here's what happens. So many Christians, they want to use the word empathy. They want to use the word compassion. Why don't you just have compassion on them? Why don't you just have empathy for them? No, no, no. Intimacy with the Father breeds empathy towards the world. Let me put it to you this way. Intimacy with the Father breeds compassion for the world. Intimacy with the world breeds compromise with the Father. Can I say it again? Intimacy with the Father breeds compassion for the world. But intimacy with the world breeds compromise with the Father. And we are living in a time and place where we are settling for friendship with the world, a lackluster desire, side piece relationship with our Father. And none of us are walking in any sort of power. When are the miracles going to come back to the church in America when the church in America is intimate with the Father again? How do I know? How do I know? Because Jesus came with two angels ready to lay to waste Sodom and Gomorrah. Because Lot had a great outcry against them. Their sin was grievous. But Abraham... But Abraham, being the friend of God, it says this. Jesus goes, I'm going to find out what's going down there. They cannot hide it from me. I will know whether it's according to what Lot has said or it's not. And I will handle and regulate accordingly. And then Jesus sends his two angels out. And it says, Abraham stood before the Lord. Pause. Here's the deal. When you start praying big boy prayers, big girl prayers, when you start praying and ministering angels, 
When you start praying audacious, real, fruit-filled, faith-filled prayers, when you start believing the Word of God because you are friends with God, you are intimate with God, you believe in Him more than the air that fills your own lungs and keeps you alive right now. When you start believing things like this, angels get sent on your behalf, but intercessors stay with God and talk to Him about the issue. Are you hearing me? Because here's the deal. Abraham doesn't start to barter with God. It's not bartering. He's not wagering with God. He's not going quid pro quo with God. He is not tick for tat with God. No, what he is doing is Abraham is living in the gap between judgment and mercy. He knows the heart of God is always for salvation. He knows that God's heart has always been that none shall perish, but all will come to know him in salvation and life. Amen. He knows that about him. So Abraham, he stands before Jesus as the angels are already off on assignment to go and obliterate. He stands before his God and he pleads the case of the righteous. He pleads the case, but not just of the righteous, but of the righteous because they occupy Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen to me. You and I, we will be a covering in our region, but we have to remain. You and I have to be called here and stay here and contend here and do ministry here. It's the only way God's going to stay here in West Michigan. It's the only way he has a tether. It's the only way he comes and visits again and revival can happen. Is if those he has called by name and has friendship with stay and remain. So we have this opportunity just like Abraham. When we sit there, we go, God, I, I stand before you. I know what I am in the natural. See, listen, some of us today, you have already pulled a Sarah in this room during my sermon, and most of us haven't entered into Abraham. Right now, you have heard me say all these things about audacity, about big prayers, about faithfulness, about friendship with God, about intimacy, about how God moves in the sound of our voice, about a plea of fire. You've heard all these things. And because of what you think about yourself, you have a greater allegiance and agreement with who you think you are instead of who he truly is. And you have sat there and you have discounted everything I have said up until this moment. And thank God for Abraham because he smashes yours and mine mental agreements that we make to the contrary of God's word. Because Abraham goes, Lord, I know. I stand before you. He says, I have undertaken I have undertaken, I have taken on the great burden to speak with the Lord. It's a burden to be his friend. That's the greatest delight. I've undertaken to speak with the Lord. And he says, just like you and I need to say, I recognize I am but dust and ash. But though you may be but dust and ash in the natural, in the supernatural, you are a friend. And that's the place you've got to contend for. That's the place you've got to contend out of. That's the place that you've got to pray from. That's the place that you've got to be committed to living in. That's the place that you've got to worship from. That's the place that you've got to pray from. That's the place you've got to cry from. You can recognize as the day is long, yes, like Sarah, you are but dust and you are but ash, but he has called you friend. He has called you son. He has called you daughter. He has called you higher. He has called you into more. He has made you out of his image and likeness. You may be but dust and ash in the natural, but to him you are his image and likeness, and he longs to have friendship with you. And out of that friendship, what does Abraham start doing? He says, Lord, surely if there's 50 righteous, you won't destroy the place, right? You can't wipe out the wicked with the righteous. You can't wipe out the righteous with the wicked. And the Lord has a preset outcome of obliteration and annihilation. But because of a friendship, intimate income with Abraham, it changes the whole outcome. Are you hearing me this morning? And so Abraham, he starts, tell, he starts walking God down the line. He goes, surely if there's 40, if there's 40, God, you won't send destruction. God says, if there's 40, I will hold off. I will, I will allow you time to minister. Well, well God, if I, if I can't find 40, what if I find 30? Surely for 30. He says, surely for 30, I will not. What about 20? What about 20, Lord? If I find 20 that are righteous, will you stay off? Will you hold back the angels? Will you stop your outcome? And he goes, yes. Well, God, what if, what if it's even 10? What if even just 10 
dust and ash of men, but yet righteous. What if they stand? What if they're there? Will you spare the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah? And God says, because of friendship with Abraham, yes. Yes, I will not do it. And then we see Jesus. He goes off to Sodom and Gomorrah, and obviously we know what ends up happening next, but what ends up happening next is still absolutely incredible, because unfortunately, the Lord did not find what Abraham was interceding for, praying for, and asking for, but what he did find was four righteous, and he saves them. He saves them. He saves them, and in fact, he even gave Lot the opportunity, hey, your soon-to-be son-in-laws, yeah, those idiots that work your fields that are going to marry your daughter, you're going to be ashamed of the rest of your life, I'm counting them too because they're attached to you. Go and tell them. They think Lot is coming to them in jest. They laugh at Lot's face, and then Jesus appears to Lot again and says, hey, Abraham has prayed. You have prayed. This is going down. Come with me if you want to live. And it's out of friendship, relationship with Abraham that Lot and his family is spared. Yes, unfortunately, Lot's wife makes a bonehead decision on her way out. That has nothing to do with the intercessors. That has nothing to do with God. That has everything to do with her not obeying the word of God spoken to her to the exact degree of which in specifications it was spoken. And she turns back and she turns to a pillar of salt. And now three make it out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Sodom and Gomorrah lays at the bottom of the Red Sea today. Washington, you can make it there. You see, it's in this moment that you and I, we've got to understand that this relationship with Abraham that God has it's open and available to every single one of us. Just as Jesus is, so we are the people. What does Jesus? Jesus says of himself, I am the friend that stays closer than a brother. See, friends, there is graduation day where you and I, we go from being strangers with God and we came to sonship and daughtership with God. And then from daughtership and sonship with God, we then grow into a place of friendship with God. You see, sons... Sons have a familial relationship. Daughters have a familial relationship. And how many of you know sons aren't trusted with everything? And daughters, while they may have a sweet spot of the father's heart, they still aren't entrusted with everything. Maybe a little bit more than the sons. But not everything. But then there's this co-laborer, this best friend, this relationship that's above a son and above a daughter and above a sibling. That God desires to have where you go from being a child of God to a friend of God. And He entrusts you with things about His children. He entrusts you with things about His kingdom. He starts telling you things that you have no right to know other than you are His friend and He chose to share His secrets and mysteries with you. See, I believe today, if you would stand, I believe today, we're in a moment, we're going to sing an amazing song, we're going to close out today with a But I believe today, friends, hear me. I believe today this invitation is open to every single one of us to grow in friendship with God where we are not simply having access, but like Abraham, we understand the access that we have and we exercise the authority that comes with it. But that authority is a trust. That authority is something that God gives to those that He is close with, that we've got to grow up into, that we want to be close-knit together with Him. We want to be friends of God. We don't want to just get the crumbs from the table, though. No, we want to be invited in. Friends, today I'm telling you, there's a part of your identity that will be unlocked in friendship with God. There are things that will begin to break off your life, self-doubt, self-worth. 
that has been like an albatross around your neck just calling you to sink and sink and sink further into depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts, and they will break off because you have become friends with God. There is power that will begin to ride in on your prayers. I mean, hear me today. What happens when you begin to pray the heart of God and pray on the things that are on God's mind? That sounds like prayers that He can write in on, that He can write on, and that He can write through. Amen? And we see that in this moment. We see the amazing things take place. We're two friends with God. Sought the salvation of a people, the redemption of a lamb. People they didn't know but sinned greatly against God. People that had every sort of sexual immorality going on, you can name it. In fact, by the time we see the next chapter before God obliterates everything, these men are so depraved, they want to have relationship with the angels. That's how depraved the land is. That's how depraved and debased the land and minds of men have become. And friends, if you think the alphabet army is bad, it can get worse. But praise God, somebody, that God has a remnant, a bride in the earth that longs to be friends with Him. To pray His heart, to pray over the things on His mind, to come into agreement and order with Him to say, God, if it's not yours, I don't want it. God, if it's yours, I will pray, I will contend, I will fast, I will seek, I will knock at the door. Today, friends, there is a plea of fire available for every single one of us. Where God rides in at the sound of your voice. Where you can pray an even greater outcome. When you can pray in even the sliverest 10% part of God's heart, you can change the entire outcome of a nation, of a people, of a situation, of a circumstance, of a health event, of a marriage, of a prodigal son, prodigal daughter. You can pull God in with what you're pulling on is found in the heart of God. The only way you know what's in God's heart if you are friends with God. So right now, we're going to sing a song called Come and Behold. And right now, I want to invite you into this place. This position of coming and beholding. You see, you become like that which you behold. And I want to stay and I want to look at Jesus. I want to stay and I want to look at Jesus and I want to become like Jesus because Jesus has perfect intimacy with the Father. He has the Father's heart. He hears the Father's words. He prays the Father's prayers. He sees what the Father sees. He does what He sees His Father doing. I want to behold Jesus so I can be like Jesus in my relationship with my Heavenly Father. So this morning, right now, I'm going to pray for a plea of fire to enter this room. And I'm going to invite you as the worship team begins to sing. Come to the altar. You can stay right where you are. God tends to do things on the backside of a physical act of obedience. So I would tell you, if you're feeling tugged, to come and bow a knee. Come and bow a knee. Come and shed some tears. Come and lay on your face. Whatever you've got to do. But I'm telling you this morning, right now, friendship with God is still available even in 2023. And we can begin this moment right now of fostering a friendship with God. This isn't children's church, though I pray we are preaching this in children's church. This isn't simply for kids, although I bet they get it a whole lot easier than we do. So I'm going to pray right now that you would grow, that you would grow up into friendship with God, and that we would know His heart. And we would pray what's in his heart and pray what's on his mind. And we would see an outcome based upon our income. Amen? So, Father, I pray. I pray right now, Lord, as I'm praying, just feel free to come forward with this. Come. Come be close to him. Come be close with this. Father, I pray right now, Lord, we long to meet you. We long to be friends with you, God. Who am I that you are mindful of me? Is it because I'm a pastor? No. 
Is it because I'm a man? No. Is it because of all the things I've accomplished? No. Is it because of the house we have, the cars we drive, the money in our account? No. Is it because of the sins of a past? No. Is it because of the hangups I still have? No. God, why is it that you call us friend? It's because the friends of God we have chosen to grow up into that relationship, God, where we are trusted, where we are the sons that are now friends, where we are the daughters who become best friends, that we are close and intimate with you, God, and you will reveal your heart to those you are close to. So, Father, right now I pray. I pray for a spirit of friendship to fall in this room. Right now, Holy Spirit, lead us to our knees of friendship. God, we want to pray big prayers and get big answers. We want to pray small prayers and get big answers. We want to pray prayers that move the heavens on our behalf, on the behalf of those we love, on behalf of the nation we're in, on behalf of the hour in which we are alive in God. We want to see you right in on our prayers. So God, would you come? Christ mighty, undefeated name, we sing, we say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come.